This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. I'm Susanna Gold. I'm a wine educator, brand ambassador, writer, and marketer with a keen interest in both new and old world wines. My websites are vignettocommunications.com and susannagold.com. And of course, I have a wine blog, avinata.com. I'm particularly keen on Italy, where I lived for 15 years. While I do consider myself a wine geek, I love to look at wine from all aspects. One of the things I want to do with this podcast is delve into the many facets of the wine world, looking at it from multiple points of view. The podcast will have different series, and for the next 10 weeks, I will be discussing the topic of sustainability with my friend and fellow wine lover, geek, and expert, Sunny Gandara. Hi, everyone. I'm Sunny, and I've worked in multiple facets in the wine industry uh, over the past 15 years or so. Currently, I'm the U.S. brand director for Quechabella, which is an Italian winery located in Tuscany, and uh, I have a special interest in vegan and organic wines. I'm also the global wine director for Matthew Kenny Cuisine, which is a worldwide plant-based hospitality and restaurant group. Um, a trained chef and food and wine blogger on the side where my focus is on pairing wines with plant-based dishes. I want everyone to discover the enormous, exciting and delicious world of plants and the gastronomic pleasures you can get eating a vegan diet with a glass of wine, of course. So we're here with Christy Frank of Copaic Wineworks, and I'm really excited to talk to you. It's been a long time um, that you've been in this industry, and I've uh, spent some time talking to you, but I'm really excited to hear about your uh, store. So I think, Sunny, you have the first question. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Since I'm relatively local to your wine shop, I wanted to uh, find out a little bit more about Copaic Wineworks and what kind of selection of wines we can find at your store and what are consumers asking for. I, can you tell us a little bit also about your inspiration for opening a store in that area? Uh, sure, sure. So um, so Copaic is about two hours north of the city and it is in between, sort of in between the town of Hudson on the New York side on the river and then Great Barrington on the Massachusetts side. So it's actually very close to the Massachusetts border. It's kind of in the Berkshires. Um, The inspiration, I wish I had a a great story about why I wanted a shop up there, but um, (laughs) essentially we had, my family, we had a house up there, we would go skiing up there and I'm always just sort of looking around every time driving around anywhere that would be a great place for a wine shop that would be a great place for a wine shop I wonder where the closest wine shop is um so it was just that sort of like conversation having it in my head um one day we realized like doing a little small town gossip that the nearest wine shop to Copate, which was up in the town of Hillsdale had recently closed or was in the process of closing. It turned out it had closed around the same time that my husband was getting that little piece of gossip. I noticed that there was a, an old building that was in the center of town. The center of town is kind of, uh, you know, there's not even a stop sign. There's, well, there is a stop sign. <laughs> stoplight. Um, but I was looking at that thinking, huh, I wonder if that would be a great place for the wine shop. Uh, I wonder where the closest wine shop is. And I wonder if that building is for sale and if we could afford it. And we sort of put all that information together and, and realized, yeah, we could open a wine shop here. I owned Frankly Wines at the time down in the city. So I was not really 
I didn't want to open another wine shop. But the way that the licensing rules work in New York, I knew enough to to realize that if I ever wanted a wine shop up there in the next 10 years, which I knew I did, I needed to do it then. Um, so very quickly figured out everything that was going on, um, how to, what we needed to do, were we able to get sort of a, a one-year lease with the right to buy on the space just to sort of make sure proof of concept that we would actually have a business up there. And everything came together very quickly and, and we were able to open for the summer season. And I say we because my husband technically owns that wine shop because you can't own two wine shops in the state of New York City um, or in the state of New York. So so that's sort of how we wound up with the wine shop up in the Hudson Valley. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to have a shop if you just like selling wine to people and aren't, uh, aren't insisting on having a very, very specific niche that you want to play in. So if you walk into the shop, it's very much a generalist shop. There's some big brand spirits. There's some bigger brand wines. There's kind of everything from your $15 bottle of Pinot Grigio, your $10 bottle of Pinot Grigio, your $15 bottle of Prosecco, all the way up to like your um, fancy Napa cabs, to your really cool natural stuff, to like just sort of things from all over the world. Uh, and that's really necessary because we are, if, if you're not buying it at Copake, you've got to drive like another 20 to 30 minutes to get to another shop. So in terms of offering really good service, it's one thing if you if you aren't selling a certain kind of wine and you're in New York City and you know there's a shop that's right around the corner that is selling um, something that you're not selling in terms of a style or a price or a brand or whatever the niche is. But up in Copake, if you don't have it, somebody comes in and you say, no, 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 I, I don't want to, I don't sell that stuff. Then you're basically saying, yeah, screw you, go drive a, go drive a half an hour. I don't really care. And I didn't, I didn't want to be that store. Um, so it's just, it's kind of a little bit of everything. Definitely about five years into it, leaning more towards um, small production wines, natural wines, organic, building out the New York section. So sort of, sort of bringing it more in line with what I like to drink, but it's still very much a little bit of something for everyone. And the selection is built on that, on that um, philosophy. Right. So after like sort of five years now, what have you seen? What are they asking for? Like, what are some of the biggest concerns they have when they're purchasing wines? Do you find that they're willing to pay more for, say, the natural or handcrafted organic wines? Or do you think it's a mix of what you see in terms of, is there a trend? It's a mix. It's a mix of everything. I would say that as well, especially with with the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people moving into the area more permanently. And we've seen a lot of like younger, younger people moving up there and living there. And we are, you know, word sort of gets out that, oh, there's the shop in Copic that has like some of the cool stuff. So we're starting to see more of that. And we are starting to get more requests for um for natural wine in particular, but what's interesting about those requests is that it's it's some of it is based in the farming and the philosophy and that sort of thing, but a lot of it is is based on the style. So people coming in and asking for an orange wine or asking for a natural wine, and, and really what they mean is, do you have an orange wine or do you have some cloudy pet nat or do you have like a light um, sort of glue glue uh, smashable red? Um, and then it's kind of up to us to drive the conversation about about the farming, the labor aspects, that sort of it. 
uh, that sort of thing. Um, I would love to say people were coming in and wanted to discuss the farming and wanted to discuss labor practices and wanted to discuss all of that, but uh, we're still, we're still as the retailer, the ones that are kind of driving that conversation. Yeah, I noticed that you have a pretty large New York wine selection, um, which I think is really neat. So what, what do you see happening in the state of New York? What have you noticed in your both living there and having a shop there now for at least five years? Um, I would, I, I love that you say I have a great New York section. I, I, it's a constant uh, thing on my list to make that, that section even bigger and even better and really do more exploration of what is happening in the Hudson Valley um, and get to the actual, to the actual wineries and down into the vineyards. I've been talking about doing it for years and it just, you know, you, you have a shop, you're stuck at the shop. Um, but I, I think what's exciting is we are starting to see more of a conversation around organics, around the farming, around the sort of hybrid varieties um, mm -hmm. that can more easily support that kind of farming in an area like uh, the Hudson Valley or an area like the Finger Lakes. Mm -hmm. um, and so Sunny, we had, we had met at a uh, tasting at um, uh, Artisan Wine Shop in Beacon and were tasting um, through a bunch of piquettes that Wild Art mm -hmm. Farm was making. And that's something that's really exciting is to see different kinds of wine styles that are sort of rooted in the farming and the sustainability aspect that aren't, they don't necessarily fit into the typical box or the typical grape of what people, you know, think of when they kind of think of, of wine, um, but they're delicious and they're fun and they've, they've made an impact and as they've had some success with that and there's been a lot of buzz around that you start to see other wineries kind of following suit and playing around with those sort of grapes and those styles and starting to think about the farming in a way that ooh, maybe we couldn't do it maybe we can do it and that's that's exciting that is really exciting i myself have noticed that i've i've looked in a different way more favorably upon some of the hybrids that i've had from new york state so you know, I, I find that really interesting. I'm wondering if your shop and the people who work with you have to do a lot of education to the consumers that come into your shop. Is that a big key component for you? It, it is. Um, it's kind of, we, we, we sort of like to, We'll, we'll meet people where they are. So if somebody comes in and they want they want a, a $15 bottle of like classic, rich, oaky, buttery Chardonnay, um, we're probably not going to insist that they try, uh, you know, a $30 bottle of orange wine from Georgia, or even right. a, a paquette that's under right. 20 bucks, but from it's a great that they've, they've perhaps never heard of. Uh, right. we, we, we like to do the education by way of um, email newsletters, which I need to start up again. And once we're able to do in-store tasting, that's just the best way to, to get somebody to try something that they hadn't been expecting um, that they don't know anything about because they can try it it's no risk and sometimes they love it and sometimes we hate it and in that sense we just were like just try it you don't have to like it we won't be offended if you don't like it you never know what you're going to like if you don't try it um, so we do like that's one of the favorite th favorite things in the world is to pick out wine for people that come in and say hey just pick out something but we want to make sure that that they're they're going to like it do you have an idea when in-store tastings are coming back that's something that is like kind of in the mix of what people are talking about? I mean, places are, I'm starting to see, I am starting to see shops in the city starting to do it. 
Um, we have plenty of space up there. So theoretically, we, we could start any time we want. Uh, just where, where we are, since we are, you know, I say we're in the center of everything in the middle of nowhere. We don't want to have a, a sales rep come up and do an in-store tasting when three people show up because that's just that's not respectful of their time. Of but we're in the process of starting to put together what the plan is going to look like for tastings that we'll do on our own. That's pretty exciting. I also noticed looking at your website that you've got a lot of um, choice of formats. And that was really interesting mm -hmm. to me. You have large formats, you have cans, you have bag and box. Is that kind of part of the sustainability conversation in terms of the bag and box and cans? Or is it people like to take those formats out to picnics? What are you seeing in that in that way? And in turn, it is, it, there is a sustainability conversation there to be had, especially about the bag and box wines. I mean, four bottles of wine in something that's the size of not even one bottle of wine is it's a pretty compelling story in terms of like carbon footprint and so on but what is really motivating the purchase of those mm -hmm. is more it's it's I would say like a occasionality would be the fancy word for it We're, like occasionality so we get a lot of people that are they're on boats they're on the lake they're hiking they're canoeing they're doing you know whatever outdoors activity that they're doing and it's a lot easier to take along a box of wine or some cans of wine um, rather than have to deal with the bottle. Makes sense. I like that occasionality. May I use that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Is that I also noticed that you have a whole kind of $20 section on your on your website. So is $20 like the new 15? Is that kind of the sweet spot for consumers? I mean, in terms of what in terms of what consumers want to, it, it depends on where you are. You know, when when I had the shop in Tribeca, twenty bucks was the sweet spot. Um, I could sell almost anybody anything for twenty bucks. Uh, up in up in Copake, it's a little. Uh, it's probably fifteen dollars. Fifteen to twenty is more the sweet spot in terms of like what. Uh, our most our most rapidly selling wines are at that price point but there is something about twenty dollars in terms of being able to get a bottle of wine into somebody's hands that that's where you start to get wines that really start to show a sense of place um mm -hmm. there's heaps of great sort of 15 dollar bottles of wine out there but you don't really start to get into reliably consistently get into things that are really unique and really sort of show where they're from until you start to hit $20. Um, now, if you want something that's $20 and is like organically farmed and pristine fruit and like super fair labor practices and da 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 da, da like that's, that's even starting to push it depending on mm. who owns the farm and where are you and how many family generations have been involved and are your friends picking it or do you have to bring it people to pick it um so that that that's a yet another price point discussion but twenty dollars in terms of trying to get just something that is um delicious unique and showing some some uh, typicity is probably not the word i want to use but sort of sense of place that's where you can start to do that that's that's very interesting you brought up this topic so i'm going to just follow up on that with a question about fair labor practices and mm -hmm. vineyard because I've noticed that people are talking about it a lot more within this last year. Have you seen that too? Oh yeah, yeah. And it's um I mean it's kind of a natural it's kind of a natural progression. If you're talking about you know maybe maybe 10 years ago there was a conversation the the conversation started about like what's happening 
in the winery. And then it sort of has evolved to, well, let's talk about what's happening in the vineyards. And now it's expanded even more to be like, well, let's expand it to talk about who's in the vineyards, not just what's being grown in the vineyards. And it's, um, I mean, I think it, I think a lot of it, you know, since last summer, there's been a lot of conversation around Black Lives Matter and then about diversity and inclusion and equity within the industry. And as you start to really have those conversations and and talk about who is this community and who are we not seeing um, and who are we not centering in all of this, you start to really have to, uh, you know, you have to have that conversation. And it's going to be driven the the retailers, the importers, the distributors, the wineries, they have to be ahead of that. They're always going to leave, lead the consumers in terms of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we never had, we never had sulfur parts per million or farming practices on sell sheets until retailers started to ask for that. Um, mm-hmm. So if we start to have that conversation about who's your picking crew, then we'll start, it'll just become a natural part of the conversation. Hmm. Have you started that yet or other retailers that you know? I mean, I'm, I would, I would like to say I'm more ahead of the game than I am. Um, It's just, it's, you know, it's like teach the old dog new tricks and I'm learning the new tricks, but it's something that um, I'm looking to just a number of people that I follow within the industry that like, how are they, (laughs) I'm taking lessons from them on how to start that conversation. Um, And it is, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation then to try to have with the consumer when you're a generalist store because there's no way a $15 bottle of wine can tick all of those boxes, but we still need to be having the conversation. Right. No, all of that is true. And I think we're all learning. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's a, you know, a real learning curve across the industry. Um, I had wanted to ask you some, something about the regulatory work you did last year, but um, I know, Sunny, you have a couple of questions you wanted to ask, too. Oh, yeah, I just, um, you know, we've talked a lot about retail, but um, mm-hmm. moving into the restaurant world, obviously, they didn't fare as well during COVID as the retail. And um, I wanted to get your opinion or thoughts on what trends you're foreseeing in that restaurant and sommelier world um, post-COVID, if you think there'll be more emphasis on organic or environmentally socially conscious wines um, what do you what do you think? Um, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I think we're certainly starting to see a lot of restaurant people who are starting to be interested in retail. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> and so it's uh, it it that that's definitely something that's happening. And hey, the more people that are that are opening or talking about cool wine shops, the better. Um, sure. And in terms of restaurants, I mean, it's not it's not my, it's, I'm, I'm definitely connected to that side of the industry, but I'm not, I'm not up to my earballs or my eyeballs in it. I think what I, the conversations I'm hearing from the people that I like to talk to is there's, the wine is still important, but there's a lot of sort of get your house in order conversations that are happening, um, in terms of you know how do we how do we pay people what do we do about tips like how do we just make sure our restaurants are um uh, and this this is happening in retail as well like how do we it, we, we talk about there's been so long talking about the customer is always right the customer is always right bend over backwards for the customer and i think the pandemic certainly for retail and i think restaurants are seeing this as well it's like no 
uh-uh, there's, there's, we need to step back and we need to look at what does our restaurant community, what does our retailer community mean? And the customers are clearly important, but if we don't have staff that's safe and healthy and all of that, then what, what's the point? Um, mm. So I think that kind of conversation is a big part of what restaurants are sort of sussing out. And then in terms of wine, I, I see that there are, there are restaurants and concepts popping up where wine, um, sustainability, labor costs, like all of that sort of stuff is wrapped in the overall fabric of that specific restaurants itself. So, you know, I don't think, I, I hope we don't get to the place where restaurants have all these like fabulous sustainable wine lists and they're, they're doing, you know, they, they put all this great care into their wine list, yet their employees are still being paid nothing. Like, yeah, that's that a, sort that's of correct. disconnect. I think we're probably be beyond that. Like it all has to be a little more holistic. Yeah, so, I don't. I mean, it becomes about education too, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're not in the industry, you don't know how it works. Everybody, yeah. like you said, wants to pay twelve dollars for a bottle of wine and have it be all organic and ethical, but is it realistic? So I think yeah. that conversation is really important to have as well. Yeah. And I think it's easier. I think it's, it's, there, there are conversations that are much easier to have on the, on the shop floor than they are table side at a restaurant. I mean, that's, that's something that the restaurant has to grapple with. People come to restaurants and it's for a celebration. It's for this. It's like their, their, you know, moment of glory mm. as a customer. And do you, it, 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 I, I can imagine there are customers that are like, I don't want to hear about the labor practices of this winery. Like, sure. whereas at the, uh, at a store, people come back and you can kind of pick your moment. They're back all the time. They're not necessarily there with their boss or their girlfriend or their parents or their in-laws. Yeah. And you, can, you can kind of have that conversation where somebody like, I have started to have those conversations. I mean, it's been, I've, I've tried to have them for a couple of years and now, I will try to find other ways to have scripts to bring these conversations to the forefront. But somebody will say, I know you're not crazy about this $15 bottle. Like, what's the difference between this $15 bottle of Chardonnay and this $25 bottle of Chardonnay? And I'll, I'll be able to say something like, well, the farming and what does that mean? And let's start that conversation. Or why is this Australian bottle of Chardonnay $35? Like, because they don't have interns that they can't pay. Um, so yeah. you can have that conversation at the right moment in a shop, you'd be really hard pressed to have that conversation table side at a restaurant. Yeah, that's a very good point. That is a really good point. And um, that kind of leads me to something else that I know you've been involved in uh, during the last year, which is Mm -hmm. all that regulatory work you did in in DC with tariffs, I believe. (laughs) I'm the, I'm the Instagram, I'm the Instagram person behind all of the work that Ben does. Um, (laughs) And, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm clearly not, I'm I'm a terrible lobbyist because now I can't even think of the name of the the lobbying organization, but um, it was, that was probably over the last couple years. Um, uh, yeah, it started in 2019, it, and we were all, as an industry, very much caught off guard by how this tariff process works and how the people um, setting trade policy don't understand the peculiarities of the three-tier system and how mm-hmm. when you put a tariff on a European wine to punish a European winery. Yes, you are kind of, but you're also punishing a lot of people in the U.S. that have businesses built around that who don't have the ability to sell anything else to pivot because legally they're not allowed to pivot. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was 
uh, it was great to see, to be involved in that and to sort of see the industry, what it looks like when the industry can come together against something that absolutely everybody is aligned on um, and how you can really move the needle on that. And then there's lots of food for thought there to think about, hmm, well, what are the other issues that we're not so aligned on and are there still ways to kind of move the needle on those? Right. Um, yeah, I would imagine that that was kind of a, a come together moment that you know perhaps that energy can be harnessed to have the conversation about labor rights and, and other things in the industry. Potentially, yes, hopefully, but but you also see like um, it, <laughs> certain. Not everybody is going to be as unequivocally, straightforwardly aligned on the policy that needs to be policy that needs to shape that needs to be put into place to improve labor rights. So the interests start to kind of fragment a little bit, um, but there was a lot to be learned in terms of how lobbying works and that can be put to use in, in many ways by many people now within the system. Yeah, that, that was very, very interesting. I followed a lot of it on, on social media. Um, so I, you know, I, I know you were very involved in that and I know that you, know a lot about another topic last topic i wanted to bring up which is <laughs> shipping oh yeah i've bought more wine online during this pandemic than ever before in my life and i as a consumer sometimes stop because of the cost of shipping it really it does you know it, it does make me pause and so mm -hmm. i think it's a lack of understanding about shipping costs that i and many other people share yeah, well, I mean, we've all been trained, I do it too, we've all been trained by Amazon um, that if shipping is that we should get free shipping or we should get reduced shipping, um, and it's, it's ingrained in how people make their online purchases. But the thing to think about with wine is it's incredibly expensive to ship wine. I mean, it's heavy. Uh, it needs to have special packaging. It, um, you have to have an adult signature requirement. Uh, you, in some cases, have to have permits, like for even for UPS or FedEx, for the common carrier to come pick it up. You have to have like a, a, a weekly fee that's being charged for them to come pick it up, even if they don't come pick anything up. So it's incredibly expensive to ship wine. And the flip side is, if you're, if you're, if you're buying wine to ship it, you shouldn't be, there's no reason to be buying something that you can get at the shop right down the corner. Um, but it's, it's as a retailer, like we do get this question, people will say, hey, your, your shipping costs are kind of high. And my answer to that in a nice way is like, I could raise my prices so that your shipping could be free, but I choose to keep my prices and my margins at a, like a reasonable rate. And then the shipping is on top of it. And if you want the wine enough, um, then you, you need to consider the shipping cost as part of the wine. Um, and I, I think we don't see that in a lot of other, you don't see that in a lot of other industries because they don't have the same regulatory issues that wine does. It's not as heavy to ship it. Their margins are bigger. Um, you know, within the three system everybody the importer takes a little bit the distributor takes a little bit the retailer takes a little bit so we don't have these huge markups that we can play around with um so i mean i would i would say anybody that's buying wine and and looking at the shipping and being kind of like oh that's a lot of money look at the prices and if the wine prices are are fair then you know you you need to pay the shipping if it's free shipping the reverse is kind of like huh let's look at the prices and figure out 
why the prices are so high. Are the prices high? How are they doing that? Because somebody has to pay for the shipping. Like it's it's substantial and it's not free. So somewhere the money is is built into the system. So you're paying for it one way or another. Is it a conversation that retailers have with each other? About shipping prices? I mean, yeah. we do kind of, I wouldn't say, we're not colluding. But... I wasn't suggesting you're <laughs> It's just something that I never, before this year, I never really thought so much about shipping costs. So I just, you know, it's something that's on my mind. So I was wondering if, if it's, I mean, Sunny, do you think about shipping costs? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I'm guilty as, as many are of just kind of being used to, as Christy was saying to the, it's free shipping, you pay, you know, even like wine.com, you pay like $49 and it's free shipping all year round. And then you forget how big they are. And, you know, they also raise their prices right on, on their, on their wines. But um, I'm more sort of concerned from an environmental standpoint, like I would never just buy one or two bottles but mm -hmm. I see that people are doing that all the time and I'm like I'm not going to buy a bottle in California and have it shipped on its own at least so I try to be mindful of also using my local resources and supporting the local stores or even asking them if they can special order instead of you know doing it online so I, I'm trying to be more mindful but I'm certainly not perfect <laughs> yeah yeah and that's and that's important I mean because if you really the only reason why you should be buying wine to have it shipped to you is if you can't get it locally now wine the the reality of how the wine industry works is there's a lot of wine that people want that they probably can't get locally in New York um that's not necessarily the case because we are right by the ports and we have a really really robust um network of small importers small distributors and small boutique retailers and it's very easy to special order things um so if you're patient you can you can get pretty much almost anything you want within new york that is not the case once you once you leave um our little bubble that that this state exists in and you know i think i'm i'm kind of pulling numbers out of my head but like let's take a state like kentucky kentucky might have they might only sell in in Kentucky you might only be able to get like 10% of all of the available wines and spirits in the United States so if you're a wine lover in Kentucky you're kind of what can you do you, you well you can't really have it shipped to you because that's not really legal um but that's the reality that once you get outside of New York wine drinkers have to think about is it, it, how much do I want it and um where where could I where could I find it and how do I get it and am I just going to have to do without because nobody's allowed to ship it to me but that idea of um maximizing your or rather minimizing the footprint and always buying in cases and only buying things you really really want like that's that's important that's a good that's a good thing to think about yeah we're certainly very spoiled in new york in yeah. that respect yeah yeah that is true um and just a, like a, i was wondering when you buy wine from producers or you know from importers do you look at the the weight of the bottle is that a consideration in terms of sustainability? I mean, it's in a way well i have to buy i have to buy the wine from the distributors i cannot buy right. wine from importers right. um <laughs> but i I tend not to like to buy wines in really big, fat, heavy bottles. Um, I would not not buy a wine in a big, fat, heavy bottle if I really loved it or somebody special ordered it, but it does nothing to impress me. Um, and I 
you know, whenever I pull one off the shelf, if it's a big, heavy one to show to a customer, like, and this is a really heavy bottle, just to, you know, start to seed that conversation. Um, I would prefer everybody had their wine in like basic, light, regular kind of bottles, except champagne. That needs to be in a heavier bottle. <laughs> do, do, do you see a choice that? I, I, I do think I do. Um, I, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but like just looking at what we're on the shelf, well, partly it's because of what we're buying and we're not buying, I don't, I don't buy and I don't stock a lot of really high end sort of marquee wines that are, um, that, that kind of play in that space of a certain big, rich extracted style where you want the bottle to convey that this wine is important. Um, I don't, I don't sell a lot of those wines. So just kind of by self-selecting, I don't have a lot of the big bottles, but I think in general, um, there is, I feel like there is a bit of a trend towards, towards lighter packaging. Yeah, I, th I think so too. Well, it was, Sunny, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask Christy? I could just talk to you all day about every topic <laughs> in the wine industry. No, I thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on all these important issues. Really, it was very interesting to, to hear. And um, also maybe just share with us where we can find your shop again. There's a website, um, anywhere else we can find you. Uh, sure. So it's uh, Copake Wineworks, um, which is in the town of Copake. And the website is copakewineworks.com. And then the shop is on Instagram. And I am on Instagram as well under uh, christy.frank.wine. Yes, that's the email. That, well, that's my email too, but that's also the Instagram <laughs> handle. <laughs> great. Great. Thank you. I can't wait to come visit you now that, now that we can move around. Can't awesome. Wait come on you. up. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week as we speak with Manfred Ng, winemaker at Tuscan Estate Quercia Thank you so much for listening to this podcast with Christy Frank of Copake Wineworks. Our podcasts drop on Fridays and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soul.